when we gather as the people of God, it's, a, it's amazing how God does a work in, in everything we do. And um, uh, in preparing uh, for this message, I'm, I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm wiped out in a lot of ways. And uh, a lot of encouragement uh, came in, in the song that Scott just uh, let us out in um, for us to be here to listen uh, I've struggled. Um, I have four-page notes. Um, I desperately uh, want you to hear what the Word of God has to say. And uh, I've been back and forth with these notes, and we just need to read and these notes. And there's a little bit of both, but uh, this morning I just pray that we are here to listen. Um, I told Scott earlier, I, I don't typically give a title to a sermon. I don't know why, I just never have really. Uh, but this one, uh, it begs a title just because of what God's been doing in me uh, through this study. And that title, I gave a title to uh, Rhonda this week of Redeemed and kind of just left it there. And at the time, uh, in Ephesians where we are, I was um, really looking at Verse 7, we'd been through verse 6, I'm looking at verse 7, and him we have redemption through his blood. Uh, but in the Greek, verse 3 through 14 is one sentence. And trying to break that down and, and present it broken down is very, very difficult because it's so attached. And uh, through the course of this week, the other verses uh, just came in there. And the title... Uh, now would be redeemed and the will of God. Uh, let's begin this morning uh, reading these verses. Uh, we're going to be going over. I want to go back to verse 3 and include uh, it all the way through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just beg for the work of Your Spirit in and through Your Word. Father, I pray for a glimpse of your glory this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take these verses and kind of start at the end and work back a little bit. Uh, verse 14, uh, this guarantee of our inheritance. Um, and the rendering here in, in the ESV, I'd like to read to you the NASB rendering, um, just because of the picture. And it's, this, it's the same word, redemption, this, apo- Ben, you may have to help me here, apolutrosis. And it's, it speaks to deliverance and unbinding and a setting free. Uh, and also in this, in this place, it speaks of a, um, a possession. Uh, in, the, in the Bible, there's a couple of instances early on in, in, in speaking to land and those who were not able to afford things would have to sell their land. And someone in their family would redeem that land for them. So there's this picture of redemption, of buying back this ransoming and that's uh, where we get the word ransom is from some of the root words here the first being apo which is uh, the the separation the taking from this place to another and doing that uh, by way of release and the price associated with that is lutron which is where we get ransom and this is this is what would have been paid uh, for this ransom and in, um, in trying to keep with Hebrews 6, where we've talked about, you know, there are things that need to be foundational. Things that we understand and move from there. And verse 14 speaks to that. And this is the NASB rendering. This is speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. We saw in the previous verses the work of God in creation. And us being chosen in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And we've been looking at the blessings that are associated with this. And today we're going to see the work of Christ. And we're going to see the Holy Spirit and how it seals us. And that gift of God that is a guarantee. We're going to move pretty fast. There's a lot. I share with a lot of people. A lot of times when I'm preparing for a sermon, there's just so much. Because as you study, you want to build upon the text you're looking at. And it gets huge. Because the Bible builds upon itself. It builds upon the truth of God. And it's hard, and you whittle, and you whittle, and you whittle. And this is one of those Sundays where I wasn't able to whittle off a lot. Because you need to hear it. So we're going to move pretty quick. I'm going to give you some references, and you may want to move there. If not, if, it, if it's distracting, then just listen. But in your uh, pew Bibles, the blue Bibles, page 944, Romans 8, being verses Romans 8, 14 through 32. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For he did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
For I consider the present suffering, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's a lot, but you needed to hear every bit of it. We need to see what redemption means. Sometimes we, we keep it right here as this thing that just saves us from hell. This thing we don't want to experience. It sounds really, really bad, and I don't really want to go there. And there's something in this word that says, I don't have to go there, and I, whatever it is, that's what I want. And sometimes we just reduce redemption to that. We don't see God's plan and God's purpose. What does Romans 8 have to do with Ephesians 1? God's plan. God's plan of redemption. What is it? Is it just to save us from hell? He's the creator. We're talking about God the creator. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. How did he justify? In Christ. By placing us in Christ. But it doesn't stop there. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I don't think we understand what that means. We read right by. At least I didn't take it to the point of understanding God's glory. And that we can be mentioned in the same sentence as glory. How does that happen? What is God's purpose and plan? Is it just to save us from hell? Reference, you may want to write 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. It's 9.52 in your pew Bible. 
For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. You be, you be, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's something about God's glory. We're not going to enter it on our own merit. And I can say that, and you all agree. But then we go out and we spend our lives trying to merit it. Do we not? And we hang on to that one thing we say makes us worthy. Something in us. And something that should be very foundational. And what we read, Ephesians 1, Romans 8, Colossians 1. There's this work of God that's done. Before the foundation of the world, there's this work of God that's done. Do we know it? The Holy Spirit is given as a guarantee. I pray that you, this morning, if you profess to be in Christ, that it's a confession of the work of the Spirit in you, and it's not a claim. It's a confession of truth, something that's been done in you by the Spirit of God. It's revelation. It's redemption. You won't hang your hat on anything in you if that's true of you. And if there's a thought, which many of us have had to that, spend time right here. This will take it away. Working through and, and, and trying to get this to a point of delivery will wear you out. And you long for the rest that God provides in Christ. But what we're talking about is the presence of God. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we studied previous verses that this whole forming us in Christ and choosing us in Christ before the foundation of the world was that we would stand holy and blameless before him and that word holy there was most precious thing Somehow that's you and I in Christ. Try to get your head around that and it's very difficult. But think about the most holy thing. Is there anything in this world that could possibly compare this being God's creation to the most precious thing to God? It's not something we make. It's not something we devise. It's not something we can make happen. We have no comprehension of a glory that God has to turn away as Moses walks somewhere in the proximity of and he glows. The glory of God.
Here's a Steve Roberts take on it, okay? We're going to go to the text, but here's a Steve Roberts take on it. God is the creator. He alone. Christ is the firstborn of creation. Every bit God from before the foundation of the world. God's created angels, okay? One of which has fallen. Satan is not God's equal. He is a creation. There's not this epic struggle of right and wrong going on. There's a purpose and a plan to what God is doing. And what He is doing is taking His creation. And some in His creation, He's preparing to be in His presence. And the only way you can be in God's presence is to possess or be the glory of God. Where does that come from? And when you see that, you have to understand we don't make that happen. We don't acknowledge it. God knows our heart, and by the work of the Spirit, He guarantees it for those who are in Christ. So our redemption is fully provided by God, and it's accomplished by God. And it's for His purpose to bring us to glory. To get an understanding, stepping back now to this work of Christ and redemption, let's, let's step over to Hebrews, and we're going to spend some time there. And you're going to get a verbal shepherd's guide right now. Dads, heads of households. This is the week you read Hebrews to your children. Please do it. We're going, to le- we're going to read a lot of it right now. Tells us a lot about God's plan. Takes us back to the Old Testament. Even sounds like one of those books you may have in your house that you read. To your kids at night, long ago and at many times and in many ways. But listen, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Hebrews 2. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to those by those who heard, attested to us by those who heard. 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under, subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctified and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to, to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God, has, and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So you see the picture here is of Christ as a priest to make sacrifice. You see those who are in Him joined together with Him. Listen as we read in Hebrews 3. Verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things were to be spoken later. But Christ, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in a rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and, I, and saw my works for four years. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And us being in Christ somehow are brothers. 
Do you see the picture of God's plan? While we have the forgiveness of sins, and that is absolutely necessary. It's for our purpose. It's not just to escape something really, really, really bad. Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now let's jump to Hebrews 7. If it's a little bit dim right now, hang tough. Okay, we're going to walk through some detail. Hang tough. Hebrews 7. Now if perfection had been, well, excuse me, verse 11. I didn't want to jump out there and leave you. Verse 11. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is, a, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who in the world is Melchizedek? How many of y'all know? It's okay to show your hand just if you've heard of him before. Yeah, he's very, very, very obscure. Put that down on your shepherd guide, verbal, read Hebrews and find out who Melchizedek is. Very obscure. What you need to know about him, we're going to read a little bit. You see that we're talking about these, the, the Levitical priests, the line. Man's line by birth, bodily. That's what he means by this bodily descent. There's this line of priests. Jesus was not a Levite. He didn't come become a priest by way of descent. He's from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah doesn't have priests, but one, God appointed. That's something you'll find out about Melchizedek. It may be the only thing you find out about him. Look him up. But what does this say to us? What is this telling us again? You look at the Old Testament, there's this shadow of things to come. God's given us this picture. There's this sacrifice and this righteousness that some, it, somehow it's man's and God's, God is allowing it for a time. But 
Let's read on in verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. We talk about the law as a tutor. And with the law came condemnation. You can't say it's not a sin anymore. Law says it is. And every bit of it. If you want to be justified by the law, you've got to live by every bit of it. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. This is the one by which we draw near to God. It's not this constant sacrifice. Because what was that indicating? We were okay with the sin. I hear this a lot of times. Even in us. Well, I'm just going to sin. You know, I'm just, I'm still a sinner saved by grace. As if we're kind of satisfied with that when we're called to be holy. That redemption, that deliverance, that binding that's taken away, you're no longer a slave to sin. A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God, and it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They died. They were a priest until they died. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Amen? Going to move to chapter 8. Now we're going to get to the point. Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. This high priest is before God's glory, before his throne. A minister in the holy places, in the, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern 
that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. It's the work of the Spirit. Who is God to you? Who is Christ to you? Is the Father Abba Father? For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Verse chapter 9, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness for a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence were getting ready to see the sacrifice and how that was done with the priest. Okay, there was a tent prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot speak in detail these preparations having thus been made the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties but into the second only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. How many of those do we offer? They cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Can we move on? But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered one for all, and to the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled pers persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, 
How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Remember what we were going to move on from in Hebrews 6? <laughs> Repentance from dead works. Trying to merit somehow. Jesus was the priest. And he was the sacrifice. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved and the death of the one who has made it, the, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. This is not a tent. It's not behind the second curtain. It's in the very presence of God. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The will of God? It's kind of where the title came from, Jesus and the will of God. We think of the will of God as his purpose. Just for a moment, imagine the will of God like the will of a father to his son. To his sons. Names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Eternity before the very glory of God. This is my will. When does it come in effect? When does it come in effect? The death of God? See the purpose of Christ? This is the covenant that brings us into His glory. Why do we go through this thing called the flesh? We're not the Creator. 
We were made a little lower than the angels. God give us a glimpse of glory. That's why we desperately cling to Christ. He's the one who's perfect. He's the one who's holy. We submit ourselves to him. Our sacrifice is what? It's a living sacrifice. It's a life in submission. A slave to Christ, as Paul would put it. A bondservant. Why? God says, I am going to bring my creation into my presence. Paul's letter to Colossians. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious mind, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Listen, listen to this redemption, Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. Father, this morning we do pray for all wisdom and understanding from you by your Spirit, through your Word. Father, we pray that we would see you clearly. Father, that we would trust you. We would see you as Creator, we would see you as most holy. Worthy of reverence. Worthy of a life seeking after you.
that our hope is for eternity, not just escape from something horrible and terrible and bad. But our hope is for eternity with you. Father, we pray for the work of the Spirit in our lives to teach us. For some, a confidence and a confession. Father, I pray this morning that this Word has been instruction to the body of Christ. I pray that it's done its work. I pray, Father, that there are, if there are those here by the Spirit, You are revealing to them the work of your Son. I pray for a soft heart, a receptive heart. Father, may we get a glimpse of your glory. May our hope, may our praise, may our worship not just take into account what we've been delivered from, but what we've been delivered to. Father, we thank you for your son, his sacrifice. Father, I pray that we've been changed today for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.